Good morning. I'm Paige Winfield Cunningham from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, January 28th. In today's news, Republicans back away from confronting Trump and his loyalists after the Capitol insurrection. And at the first coronavirus briefing, the White House acknowledges vaccines will take months. But first, here's the big idea. After long promising to become the climate president, President Biden detailed far-ranging plans yesterday to shift the U.S. away from fossil fuels, create millions of jobs in renewable energy, and conserve vast swaths of public lands and water. But my colleagues Juliet Alperin and Brady Dennis report that as he detailed his plans, the gas, oil, and coal industries were already mobilizing on all fronts. From an oil patch in Alaska to state capitals to the halls of Congress, the industries and their allies are aiming to slow Biden's unprecedented push for climate action and keep profits from fossil fuels flowing. Republican attorneys general from six states wrote to Biden, warning him not to overstep his authority. GOP lawmakers attacked his executive orders as, quote, job killers. And the petroleum industry revived TV ads promoting drilling on federal lands. Industry executives expressed dismay at the scope, speed, and direction in which Biden is heading, saying he's going much further than President Barack Obama ever did. At the same time, environmentalists say the danger that Earth faces is far more dire now than it appeared during Obama's tenure and requires an extraordinary response. Last year essentially tied with 2016 as the hottest year ever recorded. And scientists say the planet is speeding toward irreversible damage. In barely a week in office, Biden has moved to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord, halt the controversial Keystone XL pipeline, impose new limits on oil and gas production, and mandate climate change as a priority across every federal agency. Yesterday, he promised to use the government's purchasing power to fund a federal clean car fleet and the jobs that would come with it. He pledged to help low-income and minority communities that have historically suffered the worst pollution. And he insisted the nation must set about preparing for the inevitable impacts of climate change, even as it tries to stave off the worst future outcomes. He also said the U.S. will lead the world in the global effort to cut greenhouse gases that are driving climate change. Biden's aggressive proposals won broad praise from environmental activists and many fellow Democrats, while setting off an intense battle with the U.S. fossil fuel industry, which has underpinned the nation's economy for more than a century. In a nation that remains heavily reliant on oil and gas, but is shifting toward cleaner energy, the president and his deputies are aware they must take steps to blunt the short-term economic fallout on those impacted by the transition or risk having them unravel. To that end, the White House is establishing an interagency working group headed by climate coordinator Gina McCarthy and National Economic Council director Brian Deese that will help communities grappling with the shift away from coal and other fossil fuels. Federal fossil fuel leasing generated nearly $8.1 billion in tax revenue in fiscal 2020, a sum shared among federal, state, local, and tribal governments. The practice also accounts for nearly a quarter of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. And that's the big idea. Here are two other stories that should be on your radar today. Number one, the nation's two most powerful elected Republicans have signaled they're ready to look past questions of responsibility for the January 6th assault on the U.S. Capitol as they maneuver to avoid a divisive battle within the Republican Party and try to position it to reclaim power in 2022. 
Yesterday, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell voted against a procedural motion to proceed with Trump's impeachment in the Senate. Well, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy planned to meet with Trump in Florida today to mend relations that were frayed by the attack. The Post Michael Shearer and Josh Dawsey report that efforts from the top serve to accommodate Trump's most fervent supporters as they continue to champion the falsehood of widespread election fraud that motivated the attack and to seek retribution against the few Republicans who have called for accountability from Trump. McCarthy has rewarded with committee assignments new pro-Trump firebrands, such as Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, a QAnon supporter who in the past appeared to espouse violence toward Democratic leaders. Other members of Congress have promised to inflict punishment on GOP colleagues who voted for Trump's impeachment. Operating from Florida, Trump's advisors have been encouraging party leaders to move on from impeachment and refrain from further criticism of the former president, even as they plot retribution against Republicans who opposed Trump's final effort to overturn the election. Trump campaign advisors have commissioned and circulated to GOP lawmakers polling that shows him as still formidable in their states and made clear that he would seek revenge for votes against him. South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham said, quote, We cannot take the House and the Senate back without his help. That's just a fact. Democrats govern from a far weaker position than they did at the start of the Obama administration. The Senate is evenly divided, and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi holds only a 10-seat advantage heading into off-year elections that are usually damaging to the party holding the White House. Republicans expanded the number of governorships to 27 last year and control more than 60 percent of state legislative chambers after recently winning the New Hampshire House and Senate. Republicans say that landscape sets the party up well, especially if they're able to make the gains they expect through redistricting in the coming year. Even if he's been largely repudiated by those outside his party, recent polling has shown overwhelming support for Trump among voters who lean Republican. 79% approve of how he handled the presidency, and 57% say the Republican Party should follow his leadership after the attack on the Capitol. Number two. Yesterday, the week-old Biden White House acknowledged most Americans will need to wait months to get vaccinated. The Post Amy Goldstein and Lena Sun reports that the remarks came in the first of what officials say will be regular briefings on the coronavirus response. Andy Slavitt, one of five senior officials who held the briefing, said the administration is working to increase the availability of vaccinations, quote, with incredible urgency and purpose, but that, quote, it will be months before anyone who wants a vaccine can get one. The advisors emphasized that the mass vaccination campaign to slow the virus's spread, the most ambitious in the nation's history, is constrained by both the vaccine supply and the ability to administer shots. Officials announced they are directing the Department of Health and Human Services to make use of a law to make it easier to enlist more doctors and nurses in giving vaccines. Jeff Zients, Biden's coordinator of the federal vaccine response, said the White House is directing HHS to use the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act, known as PrEP, that shields healthcare workers from most legal liability under emergency circumstances. Zients said HHS is amending PrEP to encourage retired doctors and nurses to administer coronavirus vaccine doses. The change will also allow doctors and nurses licensed in one state to give the shots across state lines. And for the second day, the White House stepped back from a statement Biden made Monday, in which he appeared to raise his goal for the pace of vaccinations from 1 million doses per day his first 100 days in office to 1.5 million a day. 
Yesterday's briefing contrasted with briefings by the previous White House's coronavirus task force, which typically were led early on by President Trump, then by Vice President Pence, before fading in frequency as last year progressed. At times, task force member Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, was not allowed to speak. And while the Trump-era briefings involved speakers standing shoulder to shoulder in the White House's press room, the first of the Biden administration featured Zeitz seated at a table with the four other speakers on video screens. The virtual arrangement connoted a new White House mindfulness about respecting safe distances to avoid infection, though it was beset with technical difficulties. Speakers showed charts displaying the state of the pandemic, virus variants, the volume of vaccinations, the low rate of serious vaccine side effects, and more. Rochelle Walensky, the new director of the CDC, said priorities will include seeking greater funding for public health and reducing health disparities at the agency and across the nation. And one more thing before I go. This is an intense moment in American history. In times like these, I'm grateful for all my colleagues at The Washington Post. Our reporters work around the clock and around the world to uncover the stories that are shaping our lives and to bring context to the historic events happening around us. Their reporting is what drives this podcast, and truly, it wouldn't be possible without subscriber support. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support the reporting that goes into it, the best way to do so is through a subscription to The Post. A subscription gets you unlimited access to everything we publish. This week only, listeners can get two years of access for just $59. That's less than a dollar a week. Learn more and subscribe at WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. That's WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. I hope you consider it, and thanks. That's The Daily 202 for Thursday, January 8th. I'm Paige Winfield Cunningham. Thanks for listening.